So I received an email from one of my really excellent theology students at Heritage, and she said that her and some of her friends were talking about COVID-19 and what's happening in the world right now, and they were discussing how this relates to God's justice and goodness and New Covenant era, uh, how it relates to what we see in the prophets, where God sends various things, uh, pestilence sometimes, as a judgment for sin against the nations or against individuals. And she was saying that you know, she was really starting to think through, like, what does this mean? I mean, it, it seems one thing when God is judging nations, you know, a couple thousand years ago, uh, it's quite something else if we think that maybe God is judging nations today, and not only nations, but our nation. Maybe God is judging our cities. Maybe he's judging us. And so how do you process that? I mean, how do we know whether or not this is a judgment from God? So I thought that that, may be, that might be a question that a lot of people have right now, actually. And although I, I wrote her and I said, uh, I think I might, with your permission, shoot a video about this for our church. Uh, you'll be able to watch that. I'm quite convinced I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions, uh, but I'll, I'll do my best. So here's, here's a general approach that I think might be helpful, not in terms of giving definitive answers, but in terms of just beginning to think through some of the issues. So is the COVID-19 situation in our world a judgment from God? Well, I think the place to start, uh, being to put down some foundation blocks for your own thinking, might be Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus is actually uh, talking about some public events and disasters that have taken place. And he says, or Luke says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So here there are... Uh, two disasters. One, a tower falls on a group of people, and another, a pilot is somehow is involved in slaughtering people who are worshiping and offering sacrifices. And Jesus is emphatic. The fact that these people die, either through human causes, or through what we would consider just sort of an accident or disaster in the other case, is not an indication that they were more wicked or evil than anyone else. So you could not say, that tower that fell in Siloam, all of those people, they died because God was judging them for their sin. In fact, what Jesus does is he says something which we need to say in our discourse today is, look, don't worry about those people in some ways. Worry about yourself. Like the, Whether or not they are under the judgment of God, you know, we, we, we pray for mercy, we pray for forgiveness, we pray for all of those things. But whenever you hear of disaster and death, it's a wake-up call. It, it, it's a reason for you to focus yourself on your relationship with God. He says twice, unless you repent, you too will likewise perish. But the first thing Jesus wants you to know is that those people who died did not die because they were more wicked than anyone else. 
John chapter 9, Jesus' disciples think that a man who was born blind must have sinned himself or his parents must have sinned. They asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that, this, that, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. I mean, he, he breaks their dichotomy. There's neither this man nor his parents sin, but rather this was done so the glory of God may be revealed in his life. In other words, there are some things that are bad in this world which are not individual judgments for sin. Blindness exists because of sin and the curse, but it is not an individual curse on this person. And in fact, Jesus says the reason he was born blind was that God's glory could be revealed. You think also probably our last example would be Job. Uh, the narrator begins by telling us that there is no one like Job in all the world. He's upright and blameless. He fears God and shuns evil. And then later, God says the same thing. He says, have you considered my servant Job? You know, he, he's upright and blameless. He fears me and shuns evil. So Job is set up as someone who is righteous. And in fact, in God's judgment, Job is righteous. And it's because of his righteousness that he suffers all the things that he experiences. So his friends come along and tell Job, you're suffering because God is judging you for your sin. But the reader already knows that's not the case. God has already said that that's not the case. So we want to be very careful. Our first foundation block would be we'd want to be really, really careful about saying that people you know, who are suffering with this are suffering because of their own sin or evil or something along those lines. It's, it's not a specific judgment against specific people for their specific sin. It is part of a general world order that is under the curse. There are thorns and thistles. There is pain. There's loss. There's suffering. There's disease. And we are all going to die. You know, we all experience sickness and frailty and pain. That's part of generally living in a world that's under the curse. And you recall, of course, too, you know, the prophets wrestle with this. And so it's not wrong to wrestle with it. I think that'd be the second thing. The prophet um, Habakkuk is wondering, where is God? You know, in all this world of injustice and all the rest, there's a world full of disease and disasters. But nothing, even the Babylonians, the superpower of the day, Nothing is outside of God's control. That's the other thing we need to insist on. God is not taken surprise by COVID-19 or anything else. Nothing is sort of operating with, with maverick force in the universe. God is in sovereign control. He, he's not alarmed. He's still in control of everything that's taking place. Now, having said that then, uh, we don't know the plan and the wisdom of God. We're simply not able, the end of Romans 11 makes this very clear, we're simply not able to fathom all that God has done. So if anyone comes along and tells you, listen, you know, this is what's going on with COVID-19 and God, uh, there's a very good chance that they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, we might be able to make some guesses, we might be able to, to make some sort of theological speculation, but at the end of the day, we don't know all that God is doing. In fact, I get very nervous when people will tell me, that they know why something happened to someone else, or even sometimes when they tell me why something happened to them. Uh, we're not always the best interpreters of events, certainly for other people, but also even for ourselves. In fact, sometimes we think some things are really bad, and later in life, on reflection, 
we were very thankful for that we realized that there actually it actually was a good thing that took place or that a lot of outweighing good came out of it even though it was difficult at the time so also there are things we think sometimes are really good that in retrospect we look at as being fairly bad so we have to be very careful about reading providence you know the way that we read the bible one of the things that we have in the prophets is the prophets would say this is why this disaster is coming we don't have a definitive word from god as to why covid 19 is in the world and so to pretend that we can understand so with the infallibility that attended the prophets is a pretty large error so i'm going to suggest then that there are actually probably multiple reasons uh, why God is permitting this at this time. Uh, here are some of them. You can add to this list or subtract from it, but I think these are reasonable theological assertions that we can make. Number one, I'll give you a list of 10. <laughs> Number one, this is, as Luke 13 would indicate, for everyone, a time to st take stock and make sure you're in a right relationship with God. This is a time for everyone to make sure that they've repented of their sins and that they're ready to meet God because one day we all will. So I tell you the truth. These people aren't more wicked than anyone else, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So make sure that you are right with God. This is a wake up call for everyone. And don't just project that to everyone out there for you, for me. Number two. God does do things that arrest the hubris and pride of human beings, that stop them in their arrogance, so that they will actually take stock of how fleeting their life is and how limited their power is. I mean, the reality is, if COVID was a stronger virus in terms of symptoms and death rate, you can see how a virus can be transmitted all over the globe that would wipe out a massive amount of the population. Uh, the number of fatalities compared to the number of infections is very small. It's still very serious, of course, but you can imagine very easily being much, much worse. So it doesn't take much for the whole world to shut down. Our economy, our politics, our social relationships are all grinding to a halt in many ways. Look at how quickly our world can be paralyzed. With all of our technology, all of our education, all of our money, all of our military might, all of our health care, all of a sudden, all of society can be shut down because of a pandemic. That's a reminder that we are not the masters of the universe. We are not even really the masters of Earth. A little virus, you know, is something which is you can't even see without a microscope, can paralyze the world. It's a time for human beings to again take stock. We are the image bearers of God, but we are not God. Number three, uh, you cannot say that it is because of specific sin. You just cannot do that. Job's counselors were wrong when they, when they said that his suffering was because of his sin. You cannot say that if people get COVID-19, it's because they are greater sinners than other people. Number four, uh, good can come from this. Uh, Romans 8 28 still applies it does not mean that this is good but no matter what takes place God can bring good out of it he can bring good from it so even when our churches can't gather it's actually not a time for us to go backwards it's not a time for us to sort of hold the status quo and stagnate 
We can actually grow in our faith right now. We can grow in our, our appreciation and love for one another. I believe we can actually grow in our fellowship even if we can't see each other. When we gather together again, we will be able to appreciate uh, the freedom we have to worship. We'll be able to appreciate praising God. We'll be able to appreciate seeing those faces. We'll be able to appreciate you know, just, a, just a good handshake. We'll be able to appreciate all of those things. And so we can actually grow in our trust in God and in our love for one another at this time. Good can come from this. Number five, uh, the Bible is very clear that trials refine faith. And so no matter what's going on, this difficult time, this time of uncertainty, is a time for our faith to experience refining. Maybe we realize that we are overly dependent on other things, that we are overly dependent on social networks or other people or creature comforts or whatever it may be. Maybe we've been distracted away from God. Maybe, maybe our, our support has come from other things besides God. It's a good opportunity for our faith to be refined by these fires. Number six, uh, even though we're not dealing with a theocratic country or nation anywhere in the world anymore, it is worth saying that God doesn't just judge his people, God judges all of the nations. Uh, Isaiah makes that very clear. Amos makes that very clear. God doesn't just judge Israel and Judah, God judges the nations. And there's no reason whatsoever to think that God does not continue to judge the nations today. Now, having said that, that means that with our first principle, uh, you know, we, we can't just think that if something happens to a nation, it's because they're more wicked than anyone else. But it may be part of the judgment of God. I mean, in 2004, there was a tsunami in Indonesia that killed 200,000 people. Was that a judgment of God? Maybe. Um, but can we really say that 200,000 Indonesians des deserve to die more than 200,000 Canadians or Americans or, or Japanese or whoever? No. Um, and so the judgments may come, but it's not necessarily an index of relative goodness or evil. Uh, worse things may happen in Canada. Uh, we really don't have any idea. So disasters can strike. It doesn't mean that it's a judgment of God on the nation or that that nation is worse than any other nation, but certainly God is still capable of judging nations today. Number seven, without sin, this wouldn't be happening. Uh, sin has brought a curse into the world, and so again, even in the general context in which we live, bad things happen, thorns and thistles grow, there's sickness and pain and suffering, because the entire world-created order is now groaning under the curse of sin and longing for liberation. Number eight, uh, according to Romans 11, there is a mystery in the judgments and counsel of God. We cannot fathom the mind of God. We cannot fathom the plan of God. We are never going to be able to fully comprehend what God has done. Nevertheless, number nine, uh, God is in total control. And so we can draw close to God. We can draw comfort and security from that. God is still on the throne of the universe. And number 10, uh, one of the passages that I actually think is really helpful at times like this, one of the things that I find very helpful when it comes to judgment is uh, Genesis 17, uh, when Abraham is talking to God about Sodom. And Abraham started bargaining with God about how many righteous people do there need to be before God will destroy the city. And Abraham says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? It's a rhetorical question. 
And there are just so many times when I think, I don't know what the right thing is. I don't know what people deserve. I don't know what should happen. I don't know what the criteria are. I don't know what punishment fits the crime. I don't know anything about people's hearts. I don't know what's right and fair and just, but God does. That's what I cling to more than anything else, actually. The love of God revealed through Christ, providing atonement for the world. And the answer to that question, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The answer is yes. Am I the judge of all the earth? No. I, I can't even judge myself. I, I can't judge my nation. I can't judge my neighborhood. I can't judge my city. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Yes, he will. And because he is omniscient and fully wise and perfectly good, his judgment will be perfect. That's a place to rest. That's a place to stop, actually. Not my own wisdom and discernment. Not whether I think something is right or wrong. But simply to trust in the judgment of God. The judge of all the earth will do what is right.